What's going on? It's time for another episode of Too Hard for the Radio, transmitting from the future free state of Greater Idaho. I am the one-armed madman. And from the badlands of Southern Montana, it's Nolan5150. Nolan, what's up, brother? Um, uh, massive winter uh, wind chills. That's what's going on in my area. The Arctic blast. Yeah, winter has come. <laughs> uh, you remember what happened? I don't know if it was this Arctic blast or the one before. I guess it was the one before. But the the last one of the last ones was when uh, Jesse Smollett got attacked by those MAGA extremists. Oh yeah, in, yeah. in uh, Chicago. Could you imagine being outside right now and thinking people were were going to be out and about ready to attack you? <laughs> oh, dude, it, it's ridiculous. Any any exposed skin right now, I think it's like five minutes and you're getting frostbite. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There was a guy that I worked with in North Dakota that just refused to wear any type of face covering and he didn't have a beard. So his face and he was like, I don't know, he's probably Irish. But uh, his face was just bright red all the time. And finally, one of the bosses was like, dude, you got to start wearing a face mask. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Smear uh, Vaseline all over himself every day. Uh, I don't I, I don't think he did anything. He was just he was a loser. He's I don't a know what his weathered was. man. How's your. Yeah. How is it starting your pickup in, in the weather <laughs> like this? Did it start right up? It uh it has to it it cranks a few times for sure and it it's slow but uh it has a core heater and I usually oh that's I, good I usually don't plug in my vehicles um you know like twenty degree thirty degree nights uh not a big deal but it's negative twenties with a negative fifty wind chill so. It, well, the wind doesn't affect it; wouldn't affect your your pickup block, but well, it's, definitely the, it's the face and the skin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't think it. I don't think the wind. Man, I could be wrong on this one. That's an interesting one, but I don't think wind chill would affect metal. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, the battery. It's that's more the battery. Would it, you think it would affect the battery too, the wind chill? I thought the wind chill well, was just essentially hurting your face. I mean, I don't know. Sure. I've been in, you know, negative, negative is as low as it goes. So I don't really know how, how it measures out. It's just beyond some certain point, it's just cold. You know? it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> past, past zero, it's just freezing your tits off weather, it I took guess. A, it took us like a week to get all the trucks started after... Um, Thanks, or after uh, Christmas, because we went home during everybody went home during Christmas, so all the trucks had to be turned off. And essentially, we don't turn any of the trucks off at all in the winter. They they idle all night because you're gonna <laughs> yeah. spend more time and money getting them started than it's gonna cost in fuel leaving leaving a mile all night. So, yeah, we we get back and nothing wants to start. There's a couple of rigs in the in the shop, so they're easy to start. But essentially, you're setting up tents, big tarps over everything propane heaters just blasting on on the bottom of the bo- on the bottom of the engine trying to get the oil to seize up you know <laughs> freeze up and and uh turn back into liquid but i mean literally like a week to get everything started i mean one day we spent like i don't know probably four hours just on one truck and we still never could get it going it was just like you know <laughs> We're going to have to just let it sit in this thing overnight and warm up because it just. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we it's so cold. We have uh, the other day we had a tractor parked outside that would not start and it's it's diesel. So we just it, it was probably just the fuel turned to gel in the lines, you know, and then we tried to crank it so much the battery fucking died. And then we had to drag it back inside the shop. It was a real pain in the ass. I got a, I was, I wasn't driving. I I wasn't a good enough operator, but we were running this backhoe, me and my buddy Cody. He was running the backhoe and he was a decent operator, but not a pro by any means. And it's, you know, negative 40, 
or something, and we're running over. There's this culvert off the side of the road, you know, water's settled in it, froze up. I don't know how deep it was, probably two or three feet, not a lot of water, you know, maybe four at the most, but we're working on it and it's been fine. We've been running across it all day. Ice is probably a foot thick and finally we break through it and I'm sitting on the back of it trying to, you know, be there for moral support. What else am I going to (laughs) do? And he's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, trying to get out, doing everything he can. And after like, I don't know probably an hour we're freezing and he finally calls the underground guy and he's like i need your help you got to come and get this thing out of the out of here for me and he comes and he gets that thing out in like 10 seconds we're just like (laughs) man if we would have if we would have left that like at some point that thing's there for the winter if you don't get it out on that tank of fuel you know otherwise you got to get other other equipment out there to get it you know but (laughs) You could be real screwed with something like that. Yeah. Who knows how much it would sink. Yeah. That's the worst, man, when you struggle on something forever and then call in for help and some some guy comes up and just, like, whatever your problem is, fixes it like that. That's the worst. It was so easy, too. He was so smooth right out using the using the arm. And I don't, you know, I'm not an operator, so I couldn't even describe <laughs> exactly what he was doing. But it was just... So fast, so easy. Like, how do you miss that? How do we? And and Cody was, you know, he was just like, I don't know how I missed that. And as soon as he saw him do it, he was just like, oh, that's what I should, you know, like right away. He knew what was going on. It's almost like, you know, if you're working on a bike and then some master tech comes over and goes, hey, if you loop this around here and plop that out this way. Yep. You, you get a lot more play in this line up at the up at the clutch. It's not stock, but this is a better way. To, and you just go, oh, how did I never see that? Oh yeah, it happens all the time, man. That's uh, the uh, benefit of getting a fresh set of eyes on a problem. Sometimes you just get frustrated and whatever, and you just miss that tiny little simple detail and fuck yourself. Yeah, and a lot of times working in a shop atmosphere, you don't have the luxury of stepping away for a while. Yeah. Sometimes. Which sucks. Because I, with bikes, you know, a lot of times you need to step away for a little bit and and <clears throat> let it, you know, call, otherwise you start throwing wrenches and yeah, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Me, I get frustrated and then I start breaking shit. So I'm pretty good. When I, when I sense myself getting uh, pissed off or frustrated, I, I'll just say fuck it and I will walk away for five minutes or whatever. But uh, there's that... Uh, ability to figure out between you know whether you need to just start hitting it harder with a bigger hammer or you need to step away for five minutes so (laughs) yeah yeah start stripping bolts and breaking shit and drilling and tapping and it's just like ah making my life miserable (laughs) i'm sure in the modern day and age throwing a wrench in the shop is probably pretty frowned upon well i mean in you know maybe in like uh new york or la or um i don't know portland maybe that's frowned upon but oh so you can huck a wrench every once in a while and your boss ain't gonna care (laughs) yeah you gotta blow off steam somehow right (laughs) you know those things craftsmen have a lifetime guarantee so you just toss it and Breaks it breaks. <laughs> yeah, I've broken so many bolts and so many tools and stripped out so many things. And it just, yeah, you just end up being in this downward spot. I got a really cool book for um, the little brother for Christmas. I got him a, a race tech suspension guide They or the Bible, the race tech suspension Bible. It's like a two inch thick book. They go through everything they've got definitions for you know if it does this it's a slice or it's a chop was it doing this is it doing that you refer to this section refer to that section they've got um in the back and i'm sure you remember this i was trying to test suspension for a while where i go out with a, a stopwatch and a and a uh a book and try and 
twist this and crank that and drop it down, suck the fork tube. And I never knew what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> I, you know, my bike, I, I would get some suspension guy. I'd get one of the pro circuit guys to set it for me. And then I'd just ride that on everything. And, you know, some guys do that even in the pro classes, like actual pros. Some guys are, are good at, they just get one suspension setting and they just roll with it the entire season yes. unless something goes wrong. Yeah. Sometimes those are better. typically, well, those are typically the guys that don't know anything about bikes, in my opinion. Yeah, but I think the guys who, if you can, uh, it's kind of like one six one way, half dozen the other. If you can get suspension settings that work for you, and then you, it, it's in the ballpark enough to where you can r- ride to those settings. You know what I mean? It, you will get limited eventually. And yeah, you should. But you run into problems. Yeah, especially like you're getting a new bike. You're getting a new bike every year, and the bike's going to be a bit different. Things are going to be a bit. You might be able to throw your same forks and shock on it from the year before. You might not. And the problem is, is when like I know there's there's a guy named Justin Cooper who they had problems. I don't know if there's still problems with this anymore, but I I remember reading that there was problems with him communicating what was going on with the bike. You couldn't tell the mechanic what was happening in a way that translated to actually making changes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Real data that could, you know, the suspension tech could use to make adjustments. It's cutting here. It's slicing here. It's pushing in this berm. You know, I'm getting too much play. It's live here. It's slow here. You know, there's, there's all these different terms that, that are, easy to communicate with a suspension guy and the suspension guy knows exactly what's going on. So as long as you can really communicate what's going, but if you don't know, if you go, I don't know, I'm just not comfortable. I don't really know what's going on. It's kind of hard to be able to do anything. You know, a lot of times the guys can just look at it and see what's going on. But when you're talking about, you know, running these high end factory bikes, when you're looking for tenths of a second here and there, a little bit is going to put you off a second. If you're off a second, you're not even in the top 10 anymore at some point. It's just, it's so tight. The, the tolerances, the, you know, the guys are so fucking good. Now everybody's so good that it's just so hard to go out there and not be on your a game in every aspect of it. And you think in this day and age, they'd be able to have somebody on, you know, maybe half a dozen drones in all the critical sections and then be able to slow-mo replay the, uh, you know, dynamic tire movements, focus on the rear, focus on the front, and then the suspension tech would just be able to watch all that slow-mo and they wouldn't even have to talk to the rider. Yeah, you know, I was was watching Gas Monkey Garage on YouTube the other day and they built this 4GT, that did 310 miles an hour fastest streetcar. It's got a plate on it. Fastest streetcar ever. First <laughs> car to break 300, 300 miles an hour. Wow. And man, they had half a dozen guys down there on computers with plugged into that thing. They're looking at where's the boost where they had, they were bleeping out all the boost numbers that they were putting. They're saying, well, we're giving it, <laughs> you can not tell what they were actually yeah. saying because they weren't about to. And good for them, you know, smart, but man, it got me thinking like electric bikes are going to really suck because it's going to take all the fun out of it. You know, you're going to have, it's going to be communism. It's going to be communism. It's going to, everybody's going to have the same. What are they going to, they can't call it two fifty and four fifty anymore. You're going to have to go to the European terms, the MX one and the MX GP because otherwise, uh, what are you going to call it? You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Every, you're gonna oh the, what's it gonna be the the 200 watt class and the 400 exactly, I don't even know yeah. what size no, batteries but like that's <laughs> what we're talking about here that's exactly what I was thinking <laughs> yeah and I mean what your mechanics you're gonna have one guy for your suspension and then another hacker that's gonna try and mess with your power band uh, because, no you know one. these things are gonna come with yeah, these things are going to come with different, a couple different maps on them, but you're going to have to break into it somehow and be like, I like it like this. Give me more up here. Give me less down there. You know, that's not going to be fun at all. It's going to be one human suspension so, tech and one robot. 
Yeah, exactly. And I'm just not looking forward to it at all. And it's going to be the most elitist thing. These bikes are going to be so elitist because they're going to be at the, they're going to be so fast that they're going to be hard to beat in Supercross. Like once they, they get them actually up and running, these yeah. things are going to be so freaking fast and so easy to ride that they're going to be hard to beat with a really good ride. It's going to be 450s and, and 250s all over again. Yep. But so that brings us to our first story of the week. Ken rocks and flies on the Stark Varg. The Stark Varg's the new electric bike that they're saying is the fastest motocross bike ever made. Mobius Technologies creators, inventors of the X8, the most uh, protective, comfortable knee brace. This is an ad. I'm reading an ad. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that didn't sound right. Yeah. Two-time AMA 450 class pro motocross champion and two-time 450SX AMA supercross runner-up and arguably the highest profile rider in international dirt bike racing. Ken Roxon was the latest name to take the new Stark Varg for a spin. So let's read some of his quotes here. All right. It has a very different ride feel. He offered, uh, we went back and forth between the Varg and the regular dirt bike. And I could tell right away that the Stark bike was something special. The track was ripped quite deep and it was pretty rough. And the Varg felt like it was almost hovering over the ground. It was amazing, uh, that way, an amazing feeling and different and different. So I was, uh, and different than what I was used to. The power was incredible and it was super fast. So, these things are going to be tough to beat. I mean, if this is the first like real go at it, you know, and this is a, I don't think these guys are doing it right. I mean, they're doing this thing. Elon Musk style. They've got a whole list. You, Oh, give us a couple hundred dollars. We'll put you on a list. And as soon as we're ready, we'll shoot one out to some fucking dealer or some shit like that. It's vaporware in a lot of ways. Like this thing was supposed to be out already. They're blaming it on supply chain. Who knows? Maybe the thing's just not fucking ready, but the way you do this is Ken Roxon, like they said, he's high. He's one of the top three guys in the world still, one of the top five at least. And he's coming down to the end of his career. He got booted off the factory team, off factory hunt. He's not on factory hunt anymore. This is a huge free agency. It would have been a huge pickup for them to be like, hey, we're going to give you a bunch of money. We made a deal with this team. They're going to run our bikes. We've got our our techs are going to be over there. They're going to be working with the mechanics that already work there. And you're going to go out and you're going to win a championship on this thing. And we're going to change the industry. That's the way you do it. That's the way Yamaha did it. But, you know, maybe this is how they're going to do it next year. But I don't think they are. I think they're going to get it out into, into dealerships first. And then maybe I don't think they're really looking at like they've got Sebastian Tortelli working with them. Who's a great racer. I'm sure they've got other racers working with them, but it just doesn't seem like they're going to do this in the right way. It seems like they're going to do this in the Elon Musk Tesla way where, you know, when the Tesla was coming out, it was all under wraps. It was, let me show you a couple pictures. I'll tell you how fast it's going to be. I'll throw a rock at it. That was the truck, but you know, you get the picture and then they go out to uh, Nuremberg (laughs) And they bring, a, you know, a few of them out there and let a couple of drivers drive it in limited sections. And that's basically what they've been doing with this thing. They come out to a track day. You don't really get to see how long the battery lasts because they yeah. only let you do yeah. a couple laps at a time. And you don't get to see how long it takes to charge because all the batteries and all the bikes are all charged up when you get there. And because they don't let you drain the battery all down, when they plug it in, it, it charges, you know, and however long. But... I, I think that they're going to have some, like, so here's our, here's our next story. You brought this story this week. We have got triumph announces entry into super motocross series at beginning of 2024 season. And the most significant manufacturing entry into the sport in decades, triumph motorcycles will enter at the beginning of the 2024 super motocross series. I don't know what the super motocross series is. Now that I think about it, that's a weird thing i i was thinking supercross when i first read over the article but now i'm thinking the super motocross is probably something different i see they're they're going to be in the monster energy world championship so that is a supercross race okay but 
you know, let's uh, let's go down here. Triumph has tapped seven-time AMA 450 motocross national champion and five-time AMA supercross champion 450 class champion. Ricky Carmichael as the company's global road ambassador to help achieve the vision they are seeking. So they are they're doing this big. That was yeah. their release. Hey, we've got the man yeah. in here. Y'all know that he could still get top tens if he wanted to. Like everybody knows he if he decided to get up and start training right now, dude, I don't know. I would I would bet money he could podium and at least supercross if he wanted to at this point. Yeah. I mean, Dungey almost podiumed in outdoors last year. He, so, uh, I don't know. I, um, I'm really curious about that. I haven't seen any pictures of these bikes, but, uh, me neither. It, uh, it, I watched the YouTube video, like I told you, and he, Carmichael was saying they brought him on in like, I think 2018, 20, maybe 2017 or something. Like, it, this has been in the oh, works. Oh, really? He's yeah. been on a while. Huh? This has been in the works for like six years or something like that. But uh, with COVID and everything, obviously, like everybody else, it got sidelined and uh, railroaded a little bit. But uh, it's really kind of interesting. I don't know. I, I uh, It is an interesting move. Something tells me the bikes are going to be good. I can't imagine that they, they're they going to be bad. Um, I don't know. Uh, my old shop was a Triumph dealer for a couple of years, and I up until like i don't know 2016 or something like that i had ridden all the modern triumphs and everything and by far my favorite triumph was the tiger like xcx or something like that it was the uh adventure one of the adventure models it was oh a, it was okay. a great bike it handled amazing and um good power uh it, i really i mean it was really really nice second runner up 675 daytona for sure that was a good good sport bike for the money you got olin suspension all around a quick shift brembo brakes master cylinders it was like the thing was decked out from the factory and for a decent price i think it was like 13 14 grand or something like that how was it compared to a jet bike it was more, I mean, in, in price, uh, for the time. Well, that was part of that was part of the whole thing. It was on the low end or right in the ballpark of any six hundred or or okay, way, so way, competitive pricing. Yeah, but the whole the kicker was you you got all those major upgrades <clears throat> with the Olin suspension and the you know the quick shift. Uh, just high high end uh, components on on a relatively nice price bike, and this was and my thought was that they are not looking to compete with the Jap bikes. They're looking to compete with KTM. Exactly. They're going to put all yeah. the nice shit on the bike. I think it's going to be uh, probably more expensive than a Jap bike. Probably com- competitive with KTM, maybe even a little more because people are still paying it. Yeah. So yeah. you know if you can put it out. And it's interesting. I wish I could get one. I'm looking. I might get a bike this this uh, spring. I figure I've only got a little bit more time that I could possibly ride. I'm getting old, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I I think it'd be fun to to be able to ride in a different way and not have to worry about trying to go fast all the time. You know, do some yeah. jumps and stuff like that. Another Learn how to do some good wheelies and nose wheelies. I never <laughs> learned how to do any of that type of stuff because it was just always like time that I could be spending trying to get faster. So I just never yeah. really like, I can do a great wheelie just like in a good, in a, when the situation happens naturally, like I can hit a bump on it and I can lift it up and go, but just in the parking lot, like I suck, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm embarrassing. Like I would yeah. go riding with guys in Cloverdale that sucked and they could just forever. And they're making fun of me. And it's like, ah, I just never learned how to do it. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's a different, different aspect. But uh, another interesting thing uh, about the Triumph deal, they uh, I want to say it was about eight years ago, I, and I don't remember the guy's name, but they brought, he was like the head of uh, Suzuki America or something like that, and then uh, Triumph brought him on, 
and then that's why he got Carmichael to come on board. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's going to be a dynamite bike. I have I I think it's probably going to be a better bike than this electric piece of shit commie bike. You know what's yeah. funny is uh there's this old Ronnie Mac video where he calls Ken Roxon a commie. They're like dragging him off or something. He's like <laughs> Ken Roxon's a commie. <laughs> uh, and here he is testing this commie bike. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised. He ended up going back to Suzuki and Suzuki's got one foot out the door right now. I mean, they're not going to be producing bikes 10 years from now. You don't think so? Race bikes. Oh, nope. yeah. Nope. They're not updating the they're not updating their 250s anymore. They're not updating their 450 much at all anymore, I don't think. They don't make two-strokes at all anymore. Almost none of these companies make two-strokes anymore. I think Yamaha still makes a 250. They might make a 125. Uh, KTM still makes two strokes Husky yeah. Varna, but I think their Husky Varna and KTM two strokes are probably the same thing. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. The one, uh, maybe they're, maybe they're, they have, uh, putting all their resources into some bullshit electric bike. Oh, I mean, you know? there's, there's, you know, that'll, that'll take us to our, to our next, to our next story. Livewire loses almost $370 million as investors <laughs> flee, forcing Harley Davidson to pick up the tab. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Harley Davidson insisted on spinning off the Livewire brand earlier this year. The U.S. bike maker was eager to establish a separate identity from its upcoming electric motorcycles, but it was also eager to secure funding for its new EV brand doing so through the special purpose acquisition SPAC in lieu of an initial public offering. The plan was, uh, the plan has become costlier than Harley could have hoped for. Now that the live wire funds are being, ah, oh, I just got an ad. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> now that the live wire funds are being funneled out of the company by investors to the tune of $370 million. It's hardly been over a month since Livewire went public by merging with uh, AEA Bridges Impact Corp. That sounds like a, a really shady company right there <laughs> on September 27th. But the initial investors who propped up the EV maker with $400 million in investments per ride apart has withdrawn $370 million and left the company with just a tiny fraction of its startup funds. It's a big loss, which comes on the heels of Livewire falling short of projections by $251 million. It was expected to get an influx of $545 million by going public and selling shares, but instead only $294 million. So somebody, I think somebody really pulled a big fake business scam on Harley-Davidson here. I think somebody came in, got them all jacked up. We're going to make this EV. We're going to get all these BlackRock fundings, and we're going to make this big company and sell EVs all over the world because we got to get rid of the two strokes in India and the Middle East and China because they're polluting everywhere. So we're going to sell these EVs everywhere. <laughs> they get them to go public, and they just yank all of that money right away. It's uh, it smells like a a sour ESG score to me. That's what somebody, I'm saying. They somebody said, didn't want. We're gonna get all this BlackRock <laughs> yeah. ESG money. We're gonna build this huge company based off this bike that everybody obviously loves, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many bikes do you think Harley has sold? Uh, live the, wires. The live wires. Uh, yeah. Gl globally. Yep, all, 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 and all. Um, uh, uh, I want to say 15,000. The reports also give us a better look at how many live wires were actually sold during the 33-month period. HD reported wholesale shipments of 1,942 units and retail sales of 1,648 units. Holy fuck. Globally. Globally. Oh man. That's bad. They just lost almost half a billion dollars on sixteen hundred electric bikes. I wouldn't be surprised if that whole Bridge Corp company falls like a 
bridge that's 200 years old being demolished. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they just go, oops, sorry. Yeah. That's brutal. I mean, that's what a brutal, nightmare, man. right? That's well, fucking brutal. They didn't even sell all of the ones that were shipped out. That's crazy. Me and you, uh, when I came and visited you, we saw, like, that dealership had, what, like, four or five live wires? Something like that. I yep. really, I really, w- I really would be interested in riding one, but, like... I uh, was going to say the same thing. Like, like what you were talking about, the um, electric bikes, bikes earlier, it... The the big questions are how long the battery is going to last and how long it takes to recharge. Because and like yep. w- with taking it into a race and factor, how, how long the battery will last over t- in in length time period? How much yeah. it's going to cost to get a new one? Yeah. How much it's going to cost to dispose of them? Yep. You know, all of these questions are going to be completely unanswered. But I do think. Harley at least thinks that they've figured out how to sell more bikes. So here's another headline. In hopes of boosting sales, Harley Davidson to offer custom vibrating butt plug with live wire. <laughs> so it's a rolling butt plug charger. <laughs> Maybe they can set it up like South Park where it does the I'll, I'll go with uh what's, left turn what's, Clyde. What's the uh slave? Uh, what's the biker? The gay Mr. biker? Slave. Yeah, Mr. Slave. Yeah, Mr. Slave, dude. <laughs> You'd love that, <laughs> Mr. Slave's live wire. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a nice kids book, Mr. Slave's live wire. <laughs> family, family friendly. <laughs> oh man. You know, I missed this one during the dirt bike section that we just did, but here's a, a clip from my um from my science book that just really got me fired up. Let's see. Where's it start? I don't want to read the whole fucking thing. Even in dry desert air and Jesus, this is tiny writing. Uh air of the Grand Canyon, where visibility was once 150 kilometers, it's now too smoggy now to see across the canyon due to air pollution from power plants just outside the park. Snowmobiles and off-road vehicles create pollution and noise and cause erosion while disturbing wildlife in many parks. And then they've got a picture of a quad running through a puddle. (laughs) And I go, erosion? So what? We're... Moving dirt from one place to another place? I mean, what the fuck are they talking about? Erosion. It's dirt. I can't, like, it drives me nuts the way these fucking leftists talk about resources. They talk about resources like we just destroy things and then they're gone forever. Oh, this quad came through and then ripped a big hole in the ground and now it's just destroyed. Gone forever. Like that, it's like that. it's fucking dirt, man. It went over there. It'll wash back in next time it rains. It's not getting what the fuck is wrong planet. with you? Cause like, noise. We're in the mountains. We're out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Causes noise. Kiss my ass. I'm so sick of these people. I, and the problem is, is I had another thought about this. You know, carb. We've been at carb since the beginning of this show. Carb is like the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve, you've got your 10 heads of the Federal Reserve. They set monetary policy for the entire country, which then affects the entire world. CARB has 12 governing board members, same thing as the Federal Reserve. They set policy for all of California, and by that extension, you know, the United States and the world, because they've caused bike manufacturers in Japan and Europe to build completely different bikes. And as we just discussed, two strokes are almost non-existent at this point. Yeah. More on dirt bikes, man. <clears throat> They're really just at us. And, you know, I had another thought about, like, I, I think I really know why they have such a hard on for dirt bikes. It's not the environmental stuff, although that is a big part of it. I think they just really hate anything that promotes individuality. I really do. I think that they 
have no problem with football because football teaches you that you're an idiot. The coach is smarter than you. Listen to the guys in the booth. Listen to the guy up ahead. It War is, I mean, uh, football is a simulation of war. You know, you've yeah. got your generals. You've got your uh, commanders on, on the sidelines. You've got your quarterback. You, you know, this is war that they're simulating. So the, the establishment's fine with that. These people really hate dirt bikes and motorcycles because, like, Dirt bikes especially, you have to love dirt bikes to buy one. You're not just buying one for that. Like some people will buy bikes, especially in cities like San Francisco. I knew guys who had dirt or street bikes who didn't know anything about bikes. Didn't really love bikes. They just didn't love traffic. So they rode bikes. You know what I mean? A dirt bike, like you really choose. You love it. And it promotes individuality, which they can't stand. And the big thing uh, with two strokes is the simplicity yeah, being able to dude, I used to know. be able to, I used to be able to rebuild a top end in between motos, forty five minutes with a Dewalt drill and a set of T handle wrenches. I will have a piston swapped out of that bike in forty five minutes to an hour, yeah. no problem. Uh, they gotta they gotta the complicate I, everything and uh, uh, you know makes you have to bring it into the shop, makes you have to buy more parts and yada yada yada. Yep. The first time I rebuilt my two fifty F. I got the whole thing done, and then I got ready to put the cam head down on, and I was just like, I don't know if I got this right. And I had to load it up, no oil in it, and take it to my mechanic and be like, did I get this right? And he was like, yeah, you got it. But I was terrified, man. You you go from a 125, which is one of the most simple engines to rebuild ever. I'm sure you've rebuilt 125s at this point. They're so freaking one ring, you know, just the easiest thing ever. And then you get this 250F, you got this high compression piston that's a real bitch. You got to use a sleeve compressor and you got to get the cams right. You got to get the chains in the right place. They got this little dot. It's like, does the top line up? Is yeah. that lined Timing. up or is that Timing, lined man. up? And one Timing tooth makes a, a, a whole difference. You got to adjust the valves. Yep. You know, it, it's a nightmare. And now they've got digital fuel injection. I think it's digital anyways. Uh, and electric yeah, start, yeah. so there's a, a another monster that you've got to deal with. I've never worked on a bike with fuel injection, so I wouldn't even know if that's, you know, carburetors aren't super easy, but they're not difficult either. They're the big diff, uh, biggest difference is they're pretty much it's analog and digital, pretty much. It's all it comes down to fuel injection. You gotta usually get into the computers and shit like that. Uh, carburation, you can, you know physically change jets and tune it and shit like that. But, uh, the, uh, I can't remember the first, uh, sport bike engine that I rebuilt. I want to say it was a CBR, but yeah, I know exactly what you're saying that, that anxiety and nervousness and stuff of that first time you hit that start button and, that shit cranks over. It's uh, it's fucking scary. <laughs> you screw up at one twenty five, which is really hard to do, and it's you know hundred bucks, not the yeah. end of the world. Yep. You grenade a a two fifty F man. You're looking at some serious cash. It's no messing around. Oh, I don't yeah. know how much it costs yeah. now, but it wasn't it wasn't a joke back then. That's for damn sure. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, let's go. Let's move on to some climate change. I don't know if you heard about this one, but it was all over the news. Everybody's all jacked up. We got Bill Nye, the science guy. We got Neil deGrasse Tyson all over the news. Fusion, we got net fusion. We hit ignition. Woo, we're on the way to fusion energy for everybody. And right away, I'm going, well, wait a minute. You guys were just on saying that we have all of the all the uh, renewables we need already. What do we need this fusion bullshit for? Which is really interesting to me, you know, if you would have asked these guys a couple of days ago, you know, do we have everything we, we, can we do everything we want with, with green energy? Oh yeah, no problem. But now you come on, it's like, well, what happened to the green energy? And it's, you know, these people aren't stupid. They know that we can't have a high tech civilization running on windmills. <laughs> Fucking wild. Green, but, green uh, is the new red. Yeah, yeah, right? Well, they're the same thing because, uh, well, no, I guess... I was talking communism. Red is Republican. Uh, well... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were thinking red, yeah. red communism. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking uh, Republican. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> it is the new. It is the new communism. 
Um, nobody reported on this at all. Uh, I had to find a video on YouTube to find the real story. I know the real story because I've been following this. And luckily, we've been covering Fusion since the beginning of this show. So we're not just jumping on the 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 bandwagon, you know, on this big announcement. It is a big deal, but it's also not a big deal. And I will tell you why. So we already know what happened. It's Fusion. We've been talking about Fusion for a while. This is confinement Fusion. So you've got this little pebble. It's a deuterium-tritium pebble. It's in this little canister. And you've got 172 of the biggest lasers in the world all combine. And they converge and all hit on this pedal, pebble in, um, from all around in different directions at the same exact time. It heats up the canister that the pebble's in. You get a bunch of x-rays that bombard the pebble, and then you get a fusion reaction. All right. First thing, this thing was never built to be a working power plant. There is no, there is absolutely no plans on the board to make a fusion power plant with lasers. It's just not something that they're looking at. This thing was built to test nuclear weapons. This is how you test a nuclear weapon, a fusion bomb, a hydrogen bomb without actually blowing up a bomb. So essentially, as the guy on YouTube put it, and I think he put it best, this is an interesting, a cool result to an interesting experiment. That's it. Like they got a, you know, they got a cool result. They showed that we can get more energy out. But as we go down, let me see if I can find this. This was a long article. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to find it. But essentially, in this article, this chick goes, it also depends on their calculation for ignition. So essentially, these people are making, they're saying, this is what we have to get to to, to reach ignition. But who knows what, what's actually included and not included in that? Like, is the energy required to make the pellet included in that? We don't know. You know, they're they're setting the rules to their own game. And uh, I'm not buying it. I think that this was a good way for funding. There's been, I just read an article like last week that was saying that there's been more private capital flown in, into fusion research in the last year than any time in history by a monstrous amount. So my guess is, is that they've already have fusion reactors in the lab, maybe Lockheed Martin or something like that. And they're probably looking at these private companies going, these guys are going to crack this soon. So we got to start making some progress in public. Otherwise, we're going to get embarrassed. Yeah, they either already have the technology and they're just uh, slow rolling it out or somebody else has it and they're just trying to bluff and say that they do too. I don't think it's about slow rolling it out. I think it's about these huge projects that are worth so much money that they can go, oh, well, let's just let them do these projects, even though we already have one in the basement down here. We'll show ours oh, after gotcha. they, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just a money pit. It's money laundering. It's This is how we're going to steal more money from the taxpayers. That is my thought <laughs> on this thing. My, uh, here's a, a question for my book. The radioactive uranium in nuclear power plant is held in a fuel assembly the fusion reactions are slowed while needing to use, uh, when needing, Jesus, I can't see, when needed using control rods. So they're so dumb. This whole section was on um, fission reactions, fission plants, and they, they say fusion. <laughs> they're, they're so dumb that they can't even catch their own freaking mistake in their own science book. They leave it to a lineman to catch the mistake. In the science book. That's where your money's going, folks. To these fucking idiots who can't even get a question in a science book right. How wild is that? Could you imagine, like, writing a science book and then getting an email from a lineman being like, yeah, you fucked up here? <laughs> well, there's the there's the difference between just a simple typo and whatnot. But uh, depending on the It's not a typo. Of, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Depending on the no, it's not a typo. Of, <laughs> it's, it's the exact opposite. It's the inverse of what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to say fission. They said fusion. Fission is separating atoms. Fusion is combining them. But isn't that one letter off? No. F-I-S-S-O-N-F-U-S-I-O-N. Okay. It's not even close. 
It's not All even right. close. They All mixed right. their con. They mixed up their concepts. Well, whoever the fuck wrote that to. is fucking idiots, it right? Fired. It must have been uh, right. di- dictated to an intern orally. Has to be right. Yeah, <laughs> had to. Be. Who knows? These people are idiots. You know, they're fucking morons. <laughs> Kamala Harris has a law degree from some fucking Ivy League school. That's you know what we're getting. <laughs> All right, I've got a bunch more. S- stories on here, but I forgot to take nose spray before we started. So we're just going to go move on to our last story of the night. Archaeologists reveal the white supremacist nonsense behind Netflix ancient apocalypse. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fucking good. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, he was right. When I was watching that, I was like, man, they're not even going to pay attention to this thing. They're just going to act like it never happened. But, man, they really came after him hard on this thing. I what did re- you think about the... Go ahead. I was gonna, I really can't believe that uh, they let... Or Netflix put it out. Something like that. You would think that he would just have to go uh, uh, rogue and just put it out for free on YouTube not have actual major streaming service put that out? Well, there's uh, actually one piece of useful information in this article, and it's right here. So why is this on Netflix? Lots of people are asking that question. Stuart Hertag, writing for The Guardian, provides one possible explanation. If you don't like that, uh, don't like Hancock's story about the super-intelligent advanced civilization being wiped off the face of the planet. There's another, uh, here's another that might explain how Netflix gave the green light to ancient apocalypse. The platform's senior manager of unscripted originals happens to be Hancock's son. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. I like that. That's how you do it. Hell yeah. That's how you do it. (laughs) That's how you get it done. I mean, fuck them. Yeah. If you, yeah. yeah. Seriously. What no, else for, would? What else are you gonna sure. do? Well, I, what like did you I think said, about the documentary? YouTube. Uh, I thought it was. Sure. Um, I thought it was really good. Well, he couldn't have put uh, it out on YouTube. It would have cost him millions of dollars to make. There's no way he could have made that on his own. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. I, go and ahead. this, uh, I, I thought it was amazing. Honestly, um, just the. So so many so many things coming out these days just are flipping what you and I were taught in the history books and everything sure. about the history of this country and the world is is such seems to be such bullshit uh, and with the ancient apocalypse series there's and and uh, and. I'll go as extreme to say that's assuming that all these sites and everything that he showed on this TV are actually true because I didn't go there. I'm just assuming that it's real and it wasn't a green screen. You know what I'm saying? So if everything that was shown and described in the, there were some points that I can't remember specifically off the top of my head right now. There were some points that I still was kind of like, eh, okay, but how, how do you know that? There was but, one structure that I didn't think belonged in the documentary. I think it was the one in Mexico. I didn't think that one should have been in it. I I'm gonna I'm gonna have to rewatch it and uh, yeah and, and stuff. But uh, but yeah, there was one that it was obviously not built a long time ago, and he wasn't claiming that it was. I just thought it was weird yeah. that he included something that was obviously only a couple hundred years old. I, I think Honestly, I think like I thought the I thought the documentary was boring. I, I well, I mean, I, it, it, well, there, it it was not exciting for sure, but the information and the the sites that sure for the most part are not talked about in in the history Here's books. My- like the information was interesting to me, which made it entertaining. Sure. It's not exciting for sure. Here's my problem with it: the music sucked. <laughs> it was very it was very boilerplate. It was just like any other history documentary you'll ever watch. There was nothing unique uh, aside from the content. 
The content was great. Don't get me wrong. Like, but aside from like remove the content and just look at it with another history documentary, Guns, Germs, and Steel. It's a great history documentary. They're the same way. You've got the same like monotone walk and talk, monotone, stupid music, like the boilerplate music. You've got the scene with Graham sitting on the stool with the weird camera angles. There was like one point <laughs> where you could see like a shower or something in the background. It was so yeah. fucking weird that they were doing that. And it was moving, you know, uh, I thought like, did you watch the uh, Bob Lazar UFOs flying saucers? I I did a couple years ago. It, it's been a minute, but yes, I did watch it. That documentary kicked fucking ass. Yeah, the music was good. They had Mickey Rourke <laughs> as the narrator. Like, yeah, it was yeah, punk yeah. rock, man. It was in your face. It was. I'm gonna fucking make you think. Like, it, it was punk rock is the way I like to put it. They weren't looking for establishment credibility. They were. We know that this, what we're doing, we know that you think that we're crazy and we don't fucking care because we're right. True. And but, I thought that they should have had more. I thought that the documentary should have had more attitude. It should have been more punk rock. It should have had more bite to it. I think that they missed their opportunity in trying to make it credible. Well, I I hear what you're saying, and uh, the whole entertainment factor, yes, definitely lacking. I would be interested to know what the actual budget was, and maybe they sure. were trying. It was, million, it was millions of dollars. It was millions of dollars, and it, and it was. I guarantee it, you. I believe it was shot during COVID and uh, all the travel. You know what I'm saying? But all the stuff I'm talking about is editing. It has yeah, nothing yeah, to do yeah. with it. I, like I'm, I'm talking about. Post production. I know. Work. I'm getting. You know I'm getting. I mean? I'm getting to that. But you. You okay. at a certain point also have to take into account. Is this edu uh, an educational docu series or is this supposed to entertain people? And while I understand, I completely agree with and understand what you're saying. They missed that little pizzazz, that little flair. But Bob I Zarr feel like both. I. I feel like the the. Uh, at a certain point, it's it's it was kind of like just a dry um, history book, which sucks a little bit. But for me, I feel like I'm able to retain a lot more and absorb a lot more of the information and stuff that's happening when I when I don't have all those flashing lights and all the fancy music and stuff like that. It yeah, like, I'm focuses not even me. looking so much for that. I don't know. It just. To me, it didn't have it. Like, sometimes you're just looking for it. You don't know what it... Tiger King had it. You know what I mean? <laughs> they did it. They fucking nailed it. it Whatever had, it, it had was, it in they fucking nailed it. You know? Yeah. And the guy had never directed anything before in his life. Like, they fucking nailed it. That you could story make was a, so a better wild. documentary yeah. than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they were able to tell you a great fucking story, entertain the fuck out of you and just leave you blown away um another great one did you ever see a funny thing that happened on the way to the moon <laughs> no that's a good one man that's a fucking good one that's and i title. think it was way more punk it was way more punk rock like yeah i just yeah i don't know like to me it just here's a question for you which was more entertaining that documentary or him and randall on joe rogan I enjoyed the documentary more. Okay. I see to me, I thought that they were more entertaining on the podcasts. Well, okay. But see, and then that, then we're splitting hairs on the whole entertainment versus, uh, like, but you're still like educational. You know the same I mean? stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 know. I just, the, the podcast, I felt to like me, they, you had gotta to, keep my they had attention. to glaze. And, and I hear, but the, all the, all the actual on-site, video and stuff really kept me kind of drawn into it and then just you know like i was saying just kind of the dryness and whatever it helps me be amazed by the visuals and still be able to listen and retain all the audio and information yeah. a little bit better and but, i'm sure it would have been different i'm sure it would have been different if i was seeing all that stuff for the first time 
but you know, I've I've seen them on Joe so many times that like I've seen all that shit before. So it wasn't as yeah. you know. I also think they missed an opportunity. Like, you know how they did those animations? They could have done them better. <laughs> yeah. They could have done some better shit. They could have shown, dude, give me an animation of the wall breaking. Let me see the fucking comet coming down and melting everything and flooding the entire fucking continent. Show me the flood. You know what I mean? That was what I was really pissed about. It's like they're showing all the evidence. Like, show me the flood. You got money. Make some, like, the guy. I watch guys on YouTube who do great fucking science. Isaac Arthur, those videos that we've played before. Great CGI. And it, he's getting no budget. He just has fans that do it for free for him. You can't tell me that they couldn't have found somebody to do CGI for him. Like, that. It's it just... No way, you know. But that it, was another it, complaint that it, I had. It, it feels like it feels like Graham was trying to maybe earn some respect amongst his peers without making a, a animated but, entertainment spectacle. It was just informational and. But listen to him. But listen to him talk. He knew he wasn't going to get that. Like the like you heard him on Job and him and Randall a couple weeks ago. He he was saying they're not they're gonna rip and roar they're gonna complain and bitch and moan he knew they weren't gonna accept it so i don't know i guess but maybe that, like but the animation and stuff is just like probably a cheap shot amongst the i'm not talking about like actual animation. i'm talking like cgi you know they could have done some fucking hardcore animation like uh you know blade <laughs> runner did yeah. in that new yeah, blade yeah. runner show did you watch that one black lotus fucking amazing you know wait white lotus what black lotus black lotus that's a yeah uh, dude there's a blade runner anime huh it's fucking sick oh it's badass dude i'll have to check it out you'll like it really good really good but uh yeah so i was thinking i've been thinking about this type of shit a lot lately so i i i listened to a podcast a tataria podcast where they're talking about you know the, the flood and wiping out civilizations and cyclical civilizations being wiped out and people move in and get wiped out and move back in and people just keep building and collapsing and building and collapsing. And then I read this book that, uh, dude, I think it's probably some sort of like Chinese deep state project going on. It's this book. It's called the three body project, uh, three body problem. And it's by this really famous Chinese writer. And then it's translated into English and it's about this alien civilization that's close to us, but they live in a three-star system, so a trinary star system. And they all, they're all they just getting wiped out constantly. They're civil, they have chaotic eras and then stable eras, and it's almost always chaotic, and they are able to, like, dehydrate their bodies and sleep during the, de- during the chaotic eras, and then everything gets destroyed, and they build back and they just keep going and going and going. And then you hear, you know, this Graham Hancock and Tataria just blew up out of nowhere in the last like two years, you know, like nobody ever heard of that shit until like two years ago. And now it's blown up out of nowhere. And it's like, man, we might be about to find out some shit. Dude. I'm, I'm uh, yeah. I, I feel like that's what's up. <laughs> like they're, they're I making mean, they the political to hide it anymore. Yeah, they're making the political and uh, social atmosphere so insane so that when they're finally like, oh, well, there's a, um extinction-level event asteroid about to hit us, and everybody's like, ah, well, you know, whatever. We had to deal with Joe Biden for the last four years. Give it to me, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and what if, like, you know, at one point, those civilization, one of those civilizations broke away and moved down to Antarctica and found some nice warm cavern under the ice and just built. And those are the fucking UFOs that we're seeing. Hey, you know? if there's any benefactors out there that want to uh, bankroll too hard for the radio uh, or Antarctica expedition, <laughs> let's go. Oh. <laughs> I, You know what? Nope. <laughs> not gonna happen. Not not this guy. 
Uh-uh. All right. Well, I've then, I'll, the then great I'll, north. Uh, then I'll, I'll go. I'm not going to the great south. <laughs> yeah, you can go. I'll, I'll, I'll provide you with a camera, and I'll be there with moral support. I, yeah, no way, man. Not going to happen. Not doing it. Nope. If I was younger and I had two hands, I'd be like, fuck, yeah, let's go dig around down there. But now, nope. I, I can't even do a whole day snowboarding. I do a half day now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I like. Have you heard of the the nemesis theory that our star has is a binary system, and that there's another star out there, but it's we're just in a period right now where we can't see it. I, uh, I I've heard some stuff kind of like that, but I don't I don't think I don't think uh, like you're saying that we're in a two star system. Who knows what's going on? You know, there's That's a fact. so much shit that they're not <laughs> telling us know. that at this yeah. point, you know, I, I, I'm I'm ready to believe almost anything and nothing at the same time and talk about uh, shit that they're not telling us. Here's our, here we go. For all we know, he was some sort of sex slave. Son of Paul Pelosi's <laughs> alleged attacker says his father is not evil, believes in human rights, and is hardly right-wing conservative. <laughs> Quote, he isn't a danger to society. I don't even know if he's attacked Mr. Pelosi. For all we know, he's some sort of sex slave. <laughs> Bring out the gimp. <laughs>